You're listening to the Grown Girl Divorce Podcast, conversations between girlfriends who have the knowledge and information to educate and empower you before, during, and after a divorce. We are here to remind you that you're grown and you got this. Welcome to the Grown Girl Divorce Podcast. I'm your host, Kimberly Cook. Being a parent is amazing, exhausting, scary, and life-changing. It is an awesome responsibility. Look, most of us would be lying if we haven't said the phrase, I would do anything for my child, at least once. But what happens when that, quote, anything means figuring out how to co-parent with your ex-spouse or leaving an unhappy and unhealthy marriage? Are you still willing to do, quote, anything? As parents, we try so hard not to mess things up for our children, but we need help. We definitely need help when it comes to divorce and kids. How do we talk to children about divorce? What should we as parents stop doing right now? And what are our kids really saying about our divorce? Well, let's find out. We're so lucky to have answers from clinical therapist and owner of the Empathy Nest, Taylor Quick. And I'm so excited about this conversation because she is the person to get us all the way together when it comes to helping our children. Welcome, Taylor. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much, Kimberly. I am really excited to be here with you and everyone listening. Good deal. So listen, you know, we know that divorce can feel overwhelming and complex for the entire family, but in particular, how does the divorce experience impact a child? I think that every child is different and family dynamics are different. And so when divorce happens, it is so unique uniquely different to every family, but it usually shows up as grief um, for most children. And so not all divorce is a high conflict divorce. um, And it's so natural for conflict to happen in some way between parents. But when it comes to high conflict, um, it can be extremely stressful to a child. And when high conflict is spilling over onto the child, research can tell us um, in a very reliable way that we can predict that that child is going to suffer mentally um, and emotionally during their childhood and in adulthood. Wow. So let's break that apart because the idea that, you know, within a family dynamic, right? You could say, for example, have three children. What I'm hearing you say is your divorce may impact each one of those children differently because of the unique dynamics because of the unique dynamics. And then we also have to consider that each child is on a different developmental lifespan. And so that looks different on a five-year-old compared to a 10-year-old. It looks different for a baby compared to a teenager. So then you have to factor in all of that. And then if there are other developmental needs like a diagnosis such as ADHD or autism, those things can trigger, um, the divorce can be stressful, but then it can also trigger um, underlining issues and other developmental stages. So there's a lot that parents have to be aware of when navigating 
a divorce, knowing their children, knowing the other considerations for each child in a family. So you mentioned age differences. And, you know, I know that, of course, many families, their burning question really comes down to how do we tell the children about our divorce? So when we think about just age differences generally, you know, the impact and how we tell a five-year-old maybe versus a 15-year-old are certainly going to be different. What are ways that parents can navigate those differences based on the child's age? Um, It is very important, no matter the age, to keep it honest and simple and short. But certainly for a child that's five and under, you would want to kind of keep in mind that um, kind of thinking about a baby, a toddler, they will probably not understand the words that you are saying um, because for all children, they do not use words the way that we do as adults. They're learning. So it's important to keep in mind that maybe you do tell them about it, but you feel like they just don't understand. Was that, should I have done it? I don't know what to do. Just keep in mind, it is healthy that you do it. And just kind of expect that depending on the age, if they're very young, they just will not understand. And that's okay because talking about divorce is an ongoing conversation and not just, okay, we're going to tell them about this change, then that's it. So all throughout their life and development, it's okay to touch base on, okay, let's sit down and talk about our family dynamics. How are you doing with this? Um, But certainly keeping it short and simple and letting a child know that it is not their fault. Um, Because a lot of times that is the, that's a main point that a lot of children think of, even if you don't say it's, if if you don't say it is your fault, they still think and internalize just the way a child's brain is set up as I have had something to do with this. And there is something that I can do to maybe make it better again and get them back together. So just making sure that in the way you do share about the change, making sure you have some reassurance in there where you say it is not your That's really important. And I appreciate you bringing that out because it's similar to when doctors um, have to you know, call time of death, right? It has to be the actual verbal manifestation of time of death. And then when you're then communicating with the family, this person died, you have to say the words. So it's very similar here where you need to communicate to the child, regardless of age, this is not your fault because otherwise there's this underlining, you know, I think assumption that all kids feel like they somehow did something wrong or they could fix it. So being able to verbalize that. I like how you brought up that some, sometimes we can be passive with the words that we're using um, and not really like calling it what it is. So like saying the words divorce, even though a really young child might not understand that word divorce, it's still important when you're talking about the change calling it what it is um, in front of them and just briefly explaining, you know, um, your dad and I or your mom and I are going to get a divorce. That means we are not going to be married. Just like keeping that simple. They still might not understand it, but you've, you've shared it and then you're going to have ongoing conversations about it. So as they experience it, because you've talked about it before, you mentioned it, they'll be tying back 
together things that you've shared in the past. That's great. One concern I, you said, you know, be short, be honest. And I was thinking, oh boy, the word honest, because people will take that and run with it. Right. So I want to kind of delve into that. We want to be honest, but but with an asterisk and appropriate. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Because I can already just see how, you know, I was being honest and saying, you know, that your the other parent is sleeping with the neighbor. You know, we don't need that level of, uh, you know, of information, right? Too much information. Then we can go back into keep it simple and short and in hopes that might cut out the chances that we will vent about something that is too inappropriate for a child to know. Okay. Okay. Because I can imagine that has serious impact right on the child. Here they are now receiving this information, learning of their parents' divorce, and depending on what is shared in that communication can then direct how they then receive and process the divorce. It can negatively impact their experience of it, but then you're also disrupting a relationship that they have with the other parent. And that is not our right to intervene in in that and do that type of harm. Even if your experience with the other parent was harmful and created a lot of stress for you, your feelings are very, very valid, but it's not something to allow to spill over onto your child and go, well, because I am upset with this father, they should feel that way too. They should know about what the father did to me. Unfortunately, it is not that child's responsibility to know of all of those things and more of the responsibility for that child to feel like they feel they're in control of how they feel about the other parent of wanting to be with the other parent, their relationship with the other parent. And now that a divorce has happened that's separating it, you are no longer really in that relationship with the other parent because they're not in your home. So you really have to keep in mind to focus on what you can control. And that's the relationship you have with them now, not adding in tidbits to kind of sway the relationship and opinions that they might have to the other parent. That's great. It is not your, it's not your place. And, and I know that's hard in the divorce context because, uh, you know, you hit the nail on the head. You have your own feelings about the other parent, but allowing that to then spill over and and really impact the child's feelings about the parent is, is really outside of the boundaries of by which we should, we should be in recognizing that it's hard, right? I I mean, that I I think human nature is such that it's, you're going to, you know, you want people to side with you, to be with you, to be on your team, but it is such a delicate balance, especially when we're talking about children and their ongoing relationship with the other parent, which is their own relationship journey with the other parent. Yes, that's so important. And it comes up so much for many parents to where parents just have this strength about them to be able to process and work through their own emotions when they come up to keep it from spilling over. And it's so hard to do, but it can be done. It can be done. And it's important to uh, make sure that is done. And, And I would think that one of the ways in doing that is to work with a therapist to help navigate Um, these conversations, certainly 
individual and, and family counseling, but then turning it with children and working with children, what are kids saying about their parents' divorce and how it's and how it's really impacting them? So I get to, I love working with children of divorce. So I, I say it's a privilege to be able to work with children of divorce because I see it from so many different angles where it's the high conflict, then things are smoother. There's co-parenting happening in a healthy way there. And so kind of thinking about the feedback from children of any type of divorce, they are annoyed. So I feel annoyed that I just got to my, my dad's house and tomorrow my mom's coming to pick me up. It's this sense of they get super comfort comfortable in their space and one parent's home and then they have to leave that space, go get comfortable in the other parent's space, and then it happens all over again. You would think that for young children, if the divorce happens early, then they're getting used to it. Um, middle school is happening. They've gotten used to it by this point. Teenage years, they've gotten used to it. It is really hard to get used to going back and forth because predictability and consistency for children is so important. That's that developmental piece. So really, no matter the age of a child, they are constantly adjusting to the divorce, even if it happened many, many, many years ago for them. That's really interesting. You were talking about how important it is to have this be an ongoing conversation, because I was always thinking, and, and this is why we have these conversations, a child whose parents got divorced, say very young, right? This is all they know. And so, you know, they just kind of roll with it, but it's a growth and developmental change is what I'm hearing. And so there should be a touch points throughout, even if the divorce happened, say, you know, when they were five years old and here they are now 10 or yeah. 15, but really having a check-in to make sure that whether it's the schedule, whether it's emotional availability, whether it's, you know, bringing in say um, new family members, right? Significant others. So having these touch points along the way, that's really important. It sounds like. It's super important because there's a growth of, there's maturity that's happening all throughout a child's life where they're going through experiences that cause them to reflect on their own life. So okay, now I was in fifth grade last year, but now I'm in sixth grade. My classroom looks different. I have other peers around me where maybe before there wasn't anyone in my class who was like me with a family that was divorced. Now I'm in sixth grade. There's more kids in my class who have families of divorce. So I want to talk about it more. It's all these types of experiences that happen that and because it's grief, grief looks different all of the time and it's ongoing. Just the conversation about it looks different because how I feel about it today can look so different from how I felt about it even just a few hours ago because how children process information is just really so different from how we do, how they use their words, how the brain is still growing. They need that constant check-in in a natural way. So not sitting down 
this every Friday and like, let's check in on how you're doing about the divorce. Cause then children are like, Oh, we got to talk about this again. No, just naturally getting a feel for it in your home. When you see that they might be a little bit worked up or stressed or happy times. And it's just, you know, our family dynamics has been changing. I just want to make sure that you're doing all right, that, you know, whenever you're having feelings, any type of feelings that you can talk about them no big deal to talk about the divorce over and over again in this household. That's great. I'm thinking when you were saying, you know, it's similar to, to grief. Yeah. You know, I always think about the divorce process for adults um, as following the stages of grief. And so having now this recognition that even with children, there can be stages of the grief process as they're processing the divorce. So maybe that looks like denial. Maybe that looks like anger. Maybe it then looks like acceptance, but that they too are kind of following in varying times, the stages that we know as with any kind of grief, they come and go depending on other circumstances or or depending on what's going on in our lives. And I, I really like that. Um, kind of processing that you're talking about with making sure that you have these touch points throughout because we don't know at what stage they are depending on other things that happen. Yeah, You said sixth grade. In my former life, I taught middle school and there's so much that happens in those middle school years. Just, you know, your body's changing, your friends are changing, everything is changing. And, and it is, it's very interesting that you think about the idea of maybe in elementary school, you didn't have a group of friends whose parents were divorced. And so you didn't talk about it. It was kind of a closed um, conversation. And then boom, maybe now all of a sudden, sixth, seventh grade, a lot more kids, a lot more involvement. And you do have friends who, whose parents are divorced or, or vice versa. And so I, I really, I, um, that really resonates with me that it, it varying times, especially as kids grow and develop, that having those conversations about your parents' divorce is really important, even in those cases that are not high conflict, right? Exactly. What you just shared about sixth grade and just experiences of that, like sixth grader changing, just brought up this point for me that um, sometimes if a child was not really talking about it or processing it that you knew of, but now they're in the sixth grade and they're wanting to talk about it. That doesn't necessarily mean that they are um, stressed out about it and that they may need some extra help outside of the home. It could just be a sign of growth that now they have more questions about their own self and they're gaining more awareness about themselves and they just want to have a talk with you about it. So if you hear something like that come up, then to have this red flag, this, uh-oh, like kind of, <laughs> kind of feel calm about it and just approach it with an understanding. Sometimes we have so many expectations of how talking to a child about divorce is going to go or supposed to go, but really you just have to show up as yourself and know that it's more important to respond with understanding, no matter what point they are at in this journey. You know, I think it's the anticipation a lot of times that gets the best of parents because I've had several girlfriends who unfortunately, you know, have gone through the process and, uh, 
two girlfriends in particular, I remember were so worked up and so nervous about telling their kids about their divorce. And when a girlfriend of mine finally kind of said, okay, we're going to have the conversation with our daughter, the parents, you know, had this whole dinner planned and they had all this stuff and they sit down and their daughter comes right out the gate. And she was like, are you guys going to tell me you're getting divorced? And, and it caught them both off guard. Their immediate response was, uh, well, uh, are you okay? And the daughter said, well, it's about time. I was waiting for you to say something and just kind of then went on with her meal. And so sometimes I think there's a lot of anticipation. Kids know things, kids see things. And so, you know, it's very interesting um, when I hear situations where, you know, parents will say, my kids did not you know, uh, freak out or were not shocked by it. In fact, they, you know, were kind of like, okay, now, of course that's not everybody's experience, but there are experiences where children are very much like, uh, okay. I have, I had a client, um, a few months ago and parents were getting a divorce. They put him into therapy with me just as a preventative measure. He wasn't showing signs that he was worried or feeling sadness, but they were like, divorce is a stressful thing. So we just want to make sure like, shouldn't he be sad about this? But he was with me for about six sessions just to make sure he was coping in a healthy way. And he came in one day right after his dad had been crying because they were closing on the house um, to make this change. And he goes, "Um, dad was like, I know this is hard for you. And he's like, but Miss Taylor, it's really not hard for me. I think that my dad needs to be with you. And, And I'm like, wow. Wow. But he was happy and he was excited to have two homes, excited that he was going to be helping design his new space and that he would still get to see both of his parents, even though they weren't going to be under the same roof, that one parent was not going away completely, that it was just an adjustment. He had this resilience about himself that parents had no idea was going to be there. But because of that experience, they got to see how resilient their kid really is. And he is just fine with it. So it it sounds to me like we have to be very careful of projecting our own feelings and processing of the divorce onto their children because they have their own experience of the divorce. What a powerful statement for him to say to you. I think, you know, my dad needs to work with you because here he was feeling I'm very well grounded in this. I'm processing this in, in a way that um, I'm emotionally okay, but I can see that, you know, maybe my parents need some additional support. And, and so I think one of the things that's really a good takeaway is we have to make sure that as parents, we also are taking care of ourselves and then not projecting our own kind of feelings about the divorce process onto, onto the children. So many people, and I'm going to say women in particular, say things like, I'm staying in the marriage for my kids, right? Like, I- I'm just going to stay for the kids. But now how does that decision negatively then impact children when in fact, it's not necessarily what they want. 
that. Mm -hmm. Children can pick up on their parents' vibes and they can pick up on when a parent is not happy or at their best. And a lot of times that happens so often and parents are struggling then within the marriage and it becomes a high conflict within the marriage, kind of similar to what it looks like when you do actually get a divorce. So then it becomes this situation where what you're not wanting to happen from divorce is essentially you're creating that sort of environment still in the marriage that your child is picking up on the fact that you are not okay and what children really want for their parents is for them to be happy because then when a parent is happy and feeling at their best then they get a better parent that's so 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 important when parents are at their best then they can be a better parent and it's hard sometimes to hear that or to understand that because again i started out by saying you know we all want to do anything for our child but sometimes the lines become blurry and there, there is this assumption in many cases where if I'm staying in an intact, and I put that in quotes, um, marriage, that is best for the children. But if we're creating a toxic environment and an environment that is unhappy, unhappy and unhealthy, then that's really worse than having now two households where people are then able to be on the path to happiness and, and having a, a healthy environment for themselves and for the children. Really like your kind of understanding and, and saying to us, look, no, you're creating something in the home that you are trying to avoid. Right. And we're modeling for children how to have healthy relationships. So then you have to be mindful of if you are staying within this marriage that you are truly unhappy with, how is your child genuinely learning how to have an authentic relationship that aligns with them? So if you want your child to understand how to be at their best, how to have a healthy relationship, how to truly feel loved by someone and love them back, then if you are not receiving that and modeling it, you're like the safest person in their world where they really tune into you the most. So if you're not modeling those things or feeling those things, then you're more likely pouring into what you're going through into their worldview and their awareness. And they're going to be struggling in their relationships outside of the home. Because children become adults, children have their own relationships. And so the type of behaviors that they are seeing at home, what you're modeling um, really can manifest itself in their lives going forward. It makes me think about, I had a conversation several years ago uh, with a former client who was really struggling about stay or leave, stay or leave. But she was so unhappy and the, and the relationship was really unhealthy. The thought continuously was, I'm staying for my girls. I'm staying for my girls. And finally, I said to her, well, would you want your girls to stay in this type of marriage? And it was like the first time that she ever thought of it that way. And, and her, at her reaction was like instant. She was like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I would not want them to stay. And so then we started to have a conversation about what are you showing them though, by you staying, 
right? Mm. Because that's the model you are showing for them. And so as they grow and develop, they have seen that. And, and what's interesting is that I think her initial thought was, well, my hope is that it would go the opposite direction, that they saw something in their parents' marriage that they didn't like. And so they will do the exact opposite. But we know that doesn't always work that way. Not for kids. And sometimes we have this um, language about divorce that can make it seem so negative sometimes that we don't often talk about how divorce can create safety or create an environment where everyone can be calmer. And so like for that situation um, with your girlfriend, I think that would have been important to understand that type of language there that you're not feeling your best here is having a toll on you and your marriage, which is taking a toll on you being a mother with your kids. What's this going to look like for you if you're no longer in this stressful mess? Feel like you are you have more balance in your life and you have less tunnel vision and can see clearer now. The language that we use and how we use it in, in talking about divorce, especially as it relates to kids, because using the, this is not a negative thing, right? It's a, we are going into different paths and, and, and certainly paths that will, we hope will allow us individually as parents be happy, healthier, more, you know, engaged and involved and present in whatever way that may be for, for each of the parents. So I, mm-hmm. I really like that. It's the language that we use that and how we, and how we talk about it is so important. So I want to shift a little bit because, <laughs> you know, we're talking about having the, the conversations with children and, and doing the touch point. But are there signs that parents should be aware of that really kind of are those red flags to get us into therapy? Those things where it, it is very apparent that my child needs some additional support. Yes. Things like bedwetting, nightmares at night. Um, if it, depending on the age, um, if you're seeing them regressing back to things that you know they can do. Like if you had an eight-year-old, you know that he can tie his shoes. And now he's like, mom, can you help me with this? Can you do this for me? He's regressing back to some things that he has now grown that maturity to do. He's regressing and that's important. Um, Also lots of crying, um, physical symptoms like stomach aches and headaches. Okay. These are things that we should really be mindful of to then reach out and get the additional support. Therapy and getting support can be a challenge um, to get everybody on the same page. Any suggestions for parents who are struggling to agree on working with a therapist for their child or getting their child engaged in therapy? This is a tough one because I'm not able to intervene and say one parent who agrees with therapy, I'm not able to go to the other parent and say, hey, your your child needs therapy. Um, But what I can do is 
encourage with evidence um, that if a child is struggling, it's helpful to go to a therapist that both parents get a chance to screen. So rather than one parent just finding the therapist and saying, here's who we're going to go with, make sure that the other parent gets a chance to feel heard and seen and feels like they are going to have a chance to be involved. And you should be working with a therapist who does not single out one other parent either. So it's a red flag to me if um, I know there's a therapist who is only reaching out to one parent and not both parents, both parents. So make sure that um, both parents know they're going to have a say or be able to um, learn and reach out to that therapist and ask questions and feel comfortable in who their child is going to be in a different space with, and then also making sure that the there are certain screening questions for that therapist to receive. You know, how do you involve both of us um, throughout this process for our child? And then I think that typically helps parents who are one-sided or um, having some conflict about whether there's a need for therapy. If both parents can feel that they're going to be heard and have some say, then knowing there's a therapist who's going to make sure that they can work with both parents is helpful for that. It helps push the process to then get your child into therapy sooner. That's great because I've seen situations where you have one parent and the therapist kind of aligned. The yeah. other parent is constantly feeling... I don't have a say, I don't, you know, and, and railroaded in the situation when in fact, it really should be the therapist is the neutral working with the child. And, and so um, I, I think really calling out that you should have some good screening questions and you really want to make sure that you are working with someone who is really looking out for your child and is not kind of siding with one parent or the other, but you're letting the evidence and, and what's really happening with the child kind of lead the path of, of conversation um, and treatment. Absolutely. Really important. Co-parenting can be a challenge. You know, co-parenting, we know, you know, it requires even more cooperation and communication than what people even did in many cases during their marriage, right? You, you're getting divorced and all of a sudden we're all saying, you have to talk about, you know, scheduling, you have to talk about decisions for school and you have to talk about big pickup and drop off. So co-parenting is not easy. Any do's and don'ts for co-parents when you're at least kind of starting out the co-parenting journey together? Ooh, it, it is hard. Um, I have a, a few do's. It is, there's a lot of do's and there are lots of don'ts. But just to kind of summarize a few, I'll start with some do's. Um, but do set boundaries with your ex. Um, and that just means to kindly remind them of your limits. So if someone is, if your ex is coming towards you in a disrespectful way, then you know to not get down to that level. So kindly remind them of your limits and when they are being crossed. Um, an example of that is you're not for yelling at, just thinking of that high conflict there. If something is happening, the tension is rising, just remember you have limits there. Another do is to focus on what you can control. And one of those things would be the way you take care of yourself. And another would be 
um, the consistency and structure that you provide in your home when your child is with you and it's your visitation time. So if bedtime, if you believe bedtime is super important, the other parent um, is laxy daisy, maybe child is not going to bed until 12 a.m., conflict can really arise with that sort of situation. Just be mindful that in your household, nine o'clock might be your bedtime and that's what you're sticking with and that's what you can move forward with rather than very worried and focused on what's happening in the other space. I love that one and I'll tell you why. Because people try to control too much. You can only control what happens in your household and that's the reality. Bedtime's a good one. Some parents are, are really particular about, look, this is a nine o'clock bedtime. We want to stick to it. And that's great in your household, make it consistent. And while yes, when they're at the other parent, they don't go to bed until you know midnight and the next day they're sleepy and they're tired. And okay, here's the thing though. If you have to engage the school or if you have to kind of say, listen, we know that grades are slipping, maybe you're not getting enough um, sleep on these days, or maybe we look at rearranging the parenting schedule so that if we have, you know, a test every Tuesday, then maybe this isn't the way we do this, but you can't control everything. So I, that's a really good one. The, you can only control those things that you can control. Yes. Uh, One more, I'll do a don't um, because it reminded me of something that you brought up with the therapist and just triangulation sometimes. It's just don't triangulate your child or um, make them feel like they have to be the messenger between you and um, your ex, because then that creates insecurities and guilt and um, it can disrupt the relationship that you have um, with your child. The triangulation of parent and child is a space nobody wants to be in, but I would add to that the triangulation of therapist, pediatrician, of all of these care providers who are there to support your family. It's a really dangerous game when you start trying to drag them in into the conflict space because then they're not able to do those things that really are helpful to your family. So being mindful that this is not the place and the time for that realistically. It's this is my child's support and let's protect that in in whatever way we can. That's really that's really important. You mentioned earlier when we were talking about, you know, what are kids saying? And you said they're annoyed. I love that. I I love kids are annoyed, right? They're, they're annoyed about their parents, their parents' divorce um, in, in many ways. But when you think about how children looking back over the years at their experience in divorce and, and their parents' divorce, what do you see the difference between those children whose parents say, quote, did it right, where they kind of kept things, you know, low conflict, worked with maybe a therapist, really did the, the right touch base versus say those parents who were really constantly high conflict, constantly involving the child. What do you, what do you see when, when they're almost like aging out of, of your care? Aging out, um, 
of my care, and that the hope is for them to have a more positive view of themselves, but in situations where it is very high conflict and that environment is not changing, then thinking about how now they're an adult and compared to the adult child who was not raised in a very high conflict divorce home or a home that had a lot of inconsistency to it and parents not working together to create that, then there is less of a positive view of themselves and they're very shaky when it comes to um, trust in relationships that they're forming with friends in the workplace with their bosses. There's just a lot of an insecurity when it comes to relationships with themselves and with the people around them. This is so key that we don't mess this up for our children because what we are doing really putting out adults in the world who are just ripe with issues and, and problems. And so um, I'm, when I'm hearing you say it's we gotta get this right because when our children then become adult age, these things manifest themselves in the workplace, in home life, but their own personal journey into what we do as parents in all ways, but particularly if we're going through a divorce, can really make the difference not only in the child now, but in their in their life going forward and in the lives of others, right? Exactly. And just when you do make mistakes, it's how you handle that mistake rather than what you actually did. So how are you trying to repair it and take ownership of it can help a lot. So I started Grown Girl Divorce because I wanted other women, particularly women of color, to get educated and and empowered in conversations about divorce and transition but in a way that only your girlfriends kind of know, you know, we all have the one girlfriend who has some specialty, right? Before we uh, started recording today, we were talking about marketing. And I think about all the time, I'm like, I need a marketing girlfriend. I need somebody that I can like text and be like, hey, what's the, the tricks and tips on this? Same kind of thing though, for our girlfriends who don't have someone who is a, a child therapist, what are you saying to your mom girlfriends that they must do to protect their kids' emotional well-being during a divorce? Parenting is or momming is not about <laughs> it's not about making your child happy because you cannot control their feelings. It's about you showing up to understand them. And I think when you're going in the parenting world feeling like it is not about you. It is always about your child that you always have to make them happy. It can take a load off of your shoulders to realize that you are actually not in control of that, that happiness is a child's choice. You can create this environment to build onto it and influence that happiness, but there are lots of decisions that you are going to make that they're not going to be happy with. That is okay. Um, you do not have to try to rescue and save them from feeling disappointed and angry because that's a part of life. So just move through life as having these responses to be able to understand them. Wear your oxygen mask first so that you can help them put on their oxygen mask because then 
you will be able to show up clearly and with this authenticity about you to where then you can be present enough to hear what they are sharing with you. You have just given us the the jewel right there. We are not responsible for their happiness. We yeah. are we are responsible to show up. We are responsible to do the best that we can for ourselves and by extension for them. I tell you what, your girlfriends are lucky because we just <laughs> I, I I don't know how many I don't I don't know how many girlfriends would say say that to their friends. Really? That makes a world of difference. Not only is that freeing on, on so many levels, but it also, it's so true. It is so true. We are responsible for showing up and guiding them through life, but we can't control their happiness in the way that people want to try to control it. Thank mm-hmm. you for sharing that with us because that, I'm telling you, that that will certainly take us down a, a path that is best for our children and ourselves um, developmentally, emotionally, so that we are so thankful to you for that and, and all that you have shared today. Tell us where we can find out more information about you and your services. Yes, um, I do have an Instagram page with um, just educational resources that advocate for child development, and it is Kids Are Capable, so that's Kids just the letter R, capable. Um, And then I, you mentioned earlier, I'm the owner of a private practice um, called The Empathy Nest, and it's located in Charlotte, North Carolina, but I am only licensed to provide therapy um, in North Carolina, and I do offer virtual services. You can find me um, at my website, theempathynest.com. Thank you, Taylor, for joining us. It's been such a pleasure to have you on today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Grown Girl Divorce Podcast. Remember, though you may be going through a difficult time, you're grown and you got this. Please be sure to tell your girlfriends about us. Follow us on Instagram at Grown Girl Divorce and subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss out on any new conversations. The conversations on this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to substitute working directly with a lawyer. These episodes are not to be used as a basis to support or defend any legal action and transcripts or recordings of the podcast may not be used for any purpose without the direct written permission of the podcast owner.